Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bowley. This morning 
comes from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Why do we say the Apostles' Creed? You know, unlike in some churches, yeah, get out, get out your, your telescopes there for that one. Uh, unlike in some churches, this creed isn't a formal standard of what we believe. Our formal standard flows from the Old and the New Testaments. And the Apostles' Creed wasn't formally adopted as a standard of faith even by the ancient church councils like the Nicene Creed or the Chalcedonian Creed were. In fact, we have no idea who actually developed the Apostles' Creed. But we say the Apostles' Creed because it's memorizable. It's a shorthand for what almost all Christians actually do believe, even in churches that protest against all creeds. If you ask someone the questions that are inherent in the Apostles' Creed, and they can answer yes in agreement to the different parts of the creed, then they're safely following Christ, at least in their belief. Of course, their actions might indicate something different. But their beliefs, at least, are consistent with the beliefs of groups as different as the Eastern Orthodox churches, the Roman Catholic Church, the Southern Baptists, the United Methodists, the Episcopal, the Presbyterians, the American Baptists, the Christian Church, the Disciples of Christ, Lutheran churches, Mennonite churches, the Amish and the local churches of Christ, most independent evangelical churches, and most charismatic churches and Pentecostal churches. A given church might add beliefs to the Apostles' Creed, but other than perhaps objecting to the use of the word Catholic, which we know meant universal, almost all Christians accept the individual beliefs that are expressed in the Apostles' Creed, even if they're opposed to creeds in general. These are the important beliefs that unite Christians. And it's a good thing for us to memorize and to teach our children and grandchildren to memorize. It's almost at the same level as the Lord's Prayer. Did you notice where it begins? The Creed speaks of the beginning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Creator creation. God created the universe. Before God created, there was nothing. Chaos, emptiness. 
Some people say, where did God come from, though? How was God created? Well, God's name that God gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 answers that question. He answered the question, what's your name, as I am that I am. In ancient Hebrew, Y-H-W-H, we, call, we say Yahweh. I am that I am. God told Moses, in essence, that God is creation itself. He is because he is the creative principle, the beginning of everything. God did not come from anything. God is what creates everything. That's what God told Moses. I am that I am. We know God created all creatures. God established a world long ago, a universe, and a concept called life. God is at the root of everything. Even our ideas of right and wrong flow from God's ideas of what is good and what is evil. And one of the key concepts of God's creation is that created things are new. Every creature is a new, unique, different creature in the world. Unlike the things that we say are created by people who have developed the mass production of such things as Coke cans, Pringles potato chips, and chicken nuggets. I'm sure you've noticed that the Coke cans are identical. And Pringles potato chips, they're all the exact same shape. And even chicken nuggets from McDonald's only have four different shapes, the boot, the bell, the ball, and the bow tie. Every nugget, every Coke can, every Pringles potato chip is identical. They're not created anew, but they're duplicated. In your hands is a bulletin. It's the same as the bulletin in your friend's hand. It was duplicated, just like the one before it and the one that came after it. But God said in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. That's how we know that God is involved in something. For God does something new every time. Life is new every time. Even identical twins aren't identical. Their mothers soon learn to tell them apart. They grow apart as they grow older. God sends each one into God's world in a slightly different way. Forget the, the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. That's what God says. For God created the rules, and God breaks the rules. Only mass production engineers like to make rules and keep all the products exactly the same. And you know, for a period of time, back when I lived in Georgia and sold sensors and controls, these men and women were my customers. One company made the floral candles for Bed Bath & Beyond, and they came to me for help making sure that the wax was always filled to exactly the same height no matter how much floral stuff they put in it. And another company made the machinery that makes ketchup bags. They make a dozen per second per machine. Every bag had to be identical, filled identically, and cut identically, or there was a mess of ketchup on the floor. Still, there was another customer who made a machine that cut and hemmed terry cloth towels, all different colors, 
but each towel had to be the same length and hemmed the same way. Another company made ball bearings with a hundred different machines. They really went to the extreme of making things mass-produced. They made detailed charts, taking measurements of the diameter of the ball bearings, checking the diameter of every hundredth bearing made. They spent a lot of time plotting those diameters, and they spent a lot of money with me supplying sensors and controls that would adjust the machine so every ball bearing made by every machine was an identical duplicate to the ball bearings they made yesterday. But there was a problem for them. God was in the universe. And God says, forget the former things, do not dwell in the, on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And so it was a constant struggle for those men and women to keep those machines tuned to make ball bearings that were identical hour after hour, day after day, week after week. God and his universe wanted to change things a little bit. You know, people are all different. They're all born, they grow older and, and die, and some live just a few minutes, and more live some years, and many live into their 70s and 80s, and some live into their 90s and even beyond that. But you know, throughout the history of the world, all died, and none came back to life. That was the way it had always been at the time of Jesus. But God is in the universe and the universe behaves as God wills the universe to behave. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Here's a true story. There were two men and two women. The women were sisters, and one of their, the men was their brother. The other man was a friend who had known them for years. The three siblings, they owned and operated a guest house, an inn just outside Jerusalem in the little village of Bethany, which was just a couple miles over to the east of Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. They were a hard-working family. We don't know what happened to their parents, but we know that the older sister Martha, oh, she was a good cook. And the family, the family was kind to a group of lepers who lived nearby. The whole family was composed of, of kind people. The brother Lazarus worked hard to maintain the gardens and the property. And the younger sister Mary, well, not as much, because she developed a bit of crush on this other man, and she listened carefully to every word he said when he dropped by. But she worked just fine when he wasn't around. Of course, this wealthy family also had servants who had their own chores to do and carried much of the load. The other man stopped at the family's inn several times a year as he traveled to Jerusalem. Eventually, the other man became a famous preacher and teacher. We know him as Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus soon developed a reputation of being able to heal people who were sick. His healings were miraculous. Lazarus, the brother in the family, and Jesus were close friends. It was a friendship that had developed over many years. We know that one day Jesus stopped and brought his entire group of a dozen or more followers with him to spend the night at the inn. Martha, the older sister, she acted like a fast food restaurant manager does when three marching band bu buses pull into the parking lot. She was washing vegetables. She was boiling stew. She was fixing together all the food she could when she looked around and younger sister Mary was lollygagging. She was just listening to Jesus talking and teaching. 
And so Martha complained, asking Jesus to make Mary help her. But Jesus told Martha that listening to him teach was far more important than getting the table set on time. So the next time you think that preparing Sunday dinner is more important than attending church, remember what Jesus told Martha. Months later, perhaps after a couple more visits to the family's inn, Jesus and his followers were a couple days up the Jordan Valley. They were healing people up there when a runner came from Martha telling Jesus that Lazarus was very sick. But Jesus delayed in going to the inn, and when Jesus and his followers finally arrived, Lazarus was dead and had been in the tomb for four days. People are born, they live, and they die. It's the way things had always been. Martha and Mary were heartbroken, for they knew that Jesus could have healed Lazarus if Jesus had simply arrived on time. But in a famous episode, Jesus commanded Lazarus to come back alive. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. For Jesus was God walking upon the earth. God walking upon the earth? I thought God always stayed in heaven. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. God does new things. God has the power to do new things. God doesn't have to follow the old ways. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, God says. Jesus and his followers after this, they went up into the hill country of Ephraim for a couple of weeks. And then on a Sunday, six days before the Passover celebration, Jesus and his followers came to Bethany, to the inn, to the home of Lazarus, for a dinner prepared and catered by Martha. Jesus was the guest of honor. And Lazarus sat right beside him. You can just imagine that Martha went all the way in for this feast for the God-man who had brought her brother back from the dead. So they're eating, and sometime during the meal... Mary brought out a pint bottle of perfume. It was pure oil of spikenard. It was imported from the farthest reaches of Arabia, the area we call Oman today. And because of the rarity of the spikenard plant and the cost of transporting the perfume that distance on the backs of camels, the perfume was worth about 300 denarii. That was the silver coin that was typically paid for a day's wages to an ordinary worker. In today's money, we'd say that year's wages would be $20,000, $30,000. It was an extravagant gift that only a very wealthy family could afford. We, know, we learn a lot about the family's wealth from this one gift. But what Mary did with the perfume was equally as shocking as her possession of the perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. She didn't just dab it a couple drops of it. She poured it on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped his feet with her hair. The Apostle John, who was present, tells us that the house was filled with the smell of the perfume. Why did she do this? What did she do? Why would she waste such a valuable perfume? Because she was anointing Jesus. 
The God-man she loved dearly, the man she saw as the great Messiah of Israel, the man who had rescued her brother and brought him back from death. In ancient Israel, pouring expensive oil over the head of a man declared that he was to be the next king, and this was done by the high priest of Israel, but Mary was not the high priest. She was, by the social rules of the time, merely a woman. She felt the need to bow down before this man. She felt the need to be on her knees, to be the lowly servant before Jesus. She cleaned his feet, which was a job normally given to the lowest servant in the household. She cleaned his feet of the dust and the grime that comes from walking on a road frequented by donkeys and cattle and sheep. You can just imagine what was on that road. And she cleaned his feet and wiped it dry with her hair, which at the time, you'll recall, was seen as the glory of, the, of a woman. She was so humbled by the power of Jesus and his love for her family that she gave up her most prized possession, the perfume, for him. It had never been done in the past, but God said, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Why, we ask, why would she do this? A wealthy lady, respected in the community, indeed in most of the nation because of all the people who came through that area. Well, you know, today we know that Jesus can give each of us life again after death. But Mary and Martha were blessed to have seen proof of this power. To have their brother Lazarus back with them this particular evening. Martha had done what Martha did. She'd prepared a meal, probably the best in her life, because that was what Martha did. What do you do? What do you do to demonstrate a great gift? Mary had lain at Jesus' feet, and she gave all that she had, her perfume and her dignity, in front of her family and friends. She gave that to the man she now called Lord. What have you given up for Jesus? I know you call him the Son of God. I know you call him King or even King of Kings. I've heard you call him Lord. But Mary took those titles and she had worked through what the titles meant. She had decided to become his lowliest servant and be happy with that. And she had given up her most prized possession and was thrilled to be able to do it. Have you come even close to this? Or do you just give lip service, speaking, but not doing? The disciple Judas Iscariot, the man who would later betray Jesus, was a disciple only in words. He complained loudly that the perfume, the perfume had been wasted why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth 300 denarii, Judas said. A year's wages. And John gives his comment about Judas. The apostle John who wrote this gives his comment about Judas. He tells us that Judas didn't complain because he cared so much about the poor, but because he carried the group's money bag and he embezzled funds. In fact, John bluntly calls Judas a thief. Well, Jesus came to Mary's defense. 
Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Apparently, Jesus and Mary had talked previously about the perfume, and they'd made a plan that when he died, she should use the perfume as part of his embalming. You see, that was what the women who were friends of the dead would do after someone died. They would clean his body and embalm him. But she'd use the perfume early. Jesus then said to everybody around, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Have you considered this? This sentence seems like Jesus thinks pretty highly of himself, putting himself above all the poor. And in the church, it sometimes seems that the primary mission of the church is to help the poor. But Jesus, at this episode, he puts things back into perspective. The poor will always need help. And we should always help the poor. But Jesus is rare, unique, one of a kind. He was here, and he would soon be gone. He will come again. We must always remember that the church is not about the poor. It's about Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit. Not anyone or anything else. Years later, in his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul went so far as to say that everything he had before Jesus, he considered to be garbage. Mary thought it was worth just pouring out the perfume on his feet to clean his feet with. The Apostle Paul says everything he had before he met Jesus, he considered to be garbage. And the original Greek is a lot more graphic. It describes rags that were used to clean yourself before the invention of toilet paper. That's what he thought of his life and everything he had before Jesus. Nothing else mattered to Paul except to understand Jesus and help others understand Jesus. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, God says. I must admit, Paul and Mary are hard acts to follow. You know, I'd like someday to retire in a pleasant home in a pleasant climate. I'd like to travel with Sandra through Europe. But you know, I don't see any mention in the Bible of pastors retiring. And what travel I see is always on foot or in tiny boats that get shipwrecked <laughs> or on camels. There are no cruise ships or airplanes or luxury railroad excursions in the Bible. And so I focus upon teaching to many, as many people as possible about the love of Jesus. Maybe you do too. Every day I'm in the scriptures learning more about the character of Jesus. Maybe you are too. And to think that 15 years ago, I was a math teacher. 20 years ago, I owned an internet business. 25 years ago, I sold controls and sensors to manufacturing companies that wanted to make ball bearings. God changes our lives over time with our permission. And it's not too late for God to change your life so you can spend more time with Jesus. All you have to do is give God permission and ask God to arrange your life for this, and it will happen. As God said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. What will be new in your life? 
Consider what new thing you might do to learn more about God and to share God's Son with others. Perhaps you might change your Sunday morning routine. If you're listening on the radio, you might join us here at Cedar Grove United Methodist at 1030. We'd love to meet you and join in as God wipes away the past and changes your life. As God said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. I know one woman who recently stopped working on Sunday so she could come to church. I ask you to come to the altar during this song. Have you always stayed in your seat during altar calls? Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Will you do something new and bow down or stand with arms in air before God and ask forgiveness for the sins you've committed in the past? Will you help God give him permission to clear those away from you? Will you bow before Jesus as Mary did? Will you be humble and give up something to be closer to God? Will you lead your children and grandchildren to bow in prayer? Will you show them what it means to be a follower of Christ? Come to the altar during this song. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77 just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.